Good morning, everyone. I hope you all had an awesome weekend. I know I did. I went out on my annual fishing trip with a bunch of mates and got to switch off for a couple of days. So I'm rearing to go today. And I'm extra excited because we're shooting our first podcast episode under the Teaching Startups to Fish banner. Uh, The reason I decided to actually launch a podcast is mainly for a selfish reason. I wanted to improve myself and learn from people who are much better than me at certain things. There is a second reason, and it's pretty much so I can share the nuggets of wisdom with other startup founders trying to navigate the complex world of sales without spending years figuring it out on their own and becoming professional salespeople. All right, let's get into it. Uh, My first guest is a very close friend of mine, uh, someone who I've known for over 15 years now. Uh, He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at K2X and an upcoming author, Alex Roris. Alex, welcome to the pod, man. Well, Adam, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. No dramas at all. All right, well, let's kick things off with a bit of an intro about yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, a bit of a background, you know, how'd you get into your professional career and talk us through that journey. Yep, cool. So I think my real professional career probably started around the age of 21. Prior to that, I was, I took a break from university and worked as a bouncer in King's Cross. Basically woke up one morning, decided I couldn't do that anymore. And I asked myself, what can I do where I can make a heap of money, but not have to study? That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, it didn't feel like going back to uni at that point. So (laughs) um, essentially, I came to the real estate industry. Now, worked probably four years in the industry at McGrath St. George and basically started off immediately in a sales capacity. So I worked in a high-performing team there under someone called Mark Gable. He taught me a lot, but basically, I was a little bit too big for my boots at that point and I wanted to go out on my own. (laughs) So... Basically, at 22, decided to leave that team and start working as a standalone agent, which is a difficult thing. So, I mean, sitting in front of someone at 22 and telling them that you're the best person to actually sell their home is, as you can imagine, quite difficult. Uh, but it did teach me a lot and basically spent the next couple of years doing that. Got a little bit sort of disappointed with the industry and I think the market turned, which made things quite difficult. So I had a whole heap of stock that, that I couldn't sell. I was always very good at one portion of the business, which was the prospecting or cold calling, anything to do with the phones. And I had uh, another gentleman who worked there by the name of Callan Richards, who was also in a similar boat. Basically from there, left the industry, worked in construction for about a year and a half. And then Callan had this really good idea of segmenting the real estate industry and basically just providing a prospecting service for real estate agents, which is what my current business is. So basically we started that. You helped us quite a bit with the actual startup phase of that business. We were obviously not too knowledgeable on how to actually start up a business. We're both very good salespeople, but really didn't know the first thing about starting a business. So um, I appreciate all your help there. And essentially from there, we've grown it to the two of us in Cal's backyard or his granny flat. And now we're a year and a half later, 37 staff. Oh, that is awesome, man. And yeah, thanks for that sneaky <laughs> shout out. One thing that I want to touch back on. So you mentioned that you left at, at 22 and you decided to be your own agent and, mm-hmm. and not work under anyone. But I also remember you telling your stories during that period that you didn't just do the main selling. You actually went and did your own prospecting. You did door-to-door knocking. You did cold mm-hmm. calling and mm-hmm. stuff as well. So mm-hmm. was that a part of the job of normal real estate agents or do they have other people that take care of that? Or how does that work? Yeah, so I suppose it's... It's probably one of the problems that we're solving. So the legacy system or the old system prior to us starting our business was you get to a certain point, you're successful enough that you're making enough money to hire someone, you hire someone, a junior agent or associate agent, and you palm all your prospecting off to them essentially. Not all your prospecting, you you palm off all the 
all the real basic stuff, right? Cold calling, door knocking, your CRM calls, your database calls, like just the basics. Now, the problem with that is, well, most of these people are fairly new to the industry, right? So, I mean, hiring a junior, you're hiring someone that doesn't really know what they're doing. Now, there's six months where you probably have to train this person up to get up to scratch. And in that six months, they're probably missing quite a few opportunities. And an opportunity in real estate is twenty dollars to $25,000. So, if they miss 10 over that six months, we're talking two hundred fifty grand that's left out on the table. And then on top of that, these people generally leave when they get to a certain point because they're sick of doing the, the gopher stuff. And they're sick of doing the basics and they want to be their own man, like I did. So essentially, it's this weird cannibalizing system that they have that, you know, you train someone up, they take food off your table, they leave, and then you're just kind of left there in competition with the person that you trained up. So that's the thing that we fix, I guess. Tell me a little bit more about that. So you mentioned K2X, you, you and Callan started the company. So what actually made you come to the realization that this was a need, right? Like why would you decide to take those phone calls away? Because they are a crucial part, right? right? Like if I'm looking at our, our company, which is mainly software sales, mm-hmm. those initial prospecting calls and phone calls, they're really important, right? You get a lot of information. And I know in software, people tend to split this out with sales development reps, passing over their account executives and so on. But that flow of information needs to be really smooth. Mm-hmm. So if someone's outsourcing that to a company like K2X, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of questions I have there. But I mean, initially, you know, what, how did you come up with a solution and, you know, tell me at that point where the realization happened? Yeah. So I think, look, the, it was my business partner, Cal's, it was his brainchild, right? So I was lucky enough to be brought in to help him achieve that vision that he had. But I think in terms of what he saw, he saw there was a major issue in that the junior system was not working like we spoke about. Number two, there's huge amounts of data that these agents have that they're just not calling. And it doesn't matter what, like I've talked to, obviously we work closely with a lot of sales managers for many different offices and it's just the same problem across the country. We're operating in basically every state except for Tasmania. We're coming for you, Tasmania. But um, essentially every single sales manager in every business I speak to has the same problem. These agents aren't calling this data. And I actually sat down with someone recently where they showed they'd worked out the opportunity cost of all the listings that had popped off in their database that hadn't been called or hadn't been, you know, the property hadn't been appraised for the last two or three years or had no contact was even made. And it worked out to well over a million dollars. So there's huge, huge swathes of money being left out on the table, right? So that's the second problem. And then I suppose the third thing is people just don't want to do it. And it's not doing, it's not being done well. So it's being done by these junior agents that don't really know what they're doing. And these senior agents just don't want to do it. And then there's other people that I suppose they want to do it, but just can't do it because they're scared or, you know, it's daunting for them. It's quite a scary thing for a lot of people. So there's some reasons behind that, I guess. Now that's a perfect segue. Now I want to talk more specifically about cold calling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people, I've come across a few people actually, a lot actually, uh, saying that cold calling's dead, cold calling doesn't work, there are better ways. Mm-hmm. So on a surface level, does it work? Absolutely. So I built my whole business off it. So, I mean, essentially, I built both sides of my business, I built off it. So essentially what we do, our bread and butter is cold calling for agents. Now we have a guarantee of how many results we're going to get every 200 calls that we do for them. And if we don't hit that guarantee, they don't have to pay us at all. And that's just us coming from the real estate industry where you only get paid if you're successful, right? So we, we move that into our business and they, you know, they really like it. So I suppose if it didn't work, we wouldn't be getting paid, right? So we guarantee results. We know it works. On the, on the flip side, basically the first 30, 40 clients that we got all came from cold calling. Now, I mean, it's difficult to get someone to subscribe to any large service or, hey, you know, sign here on the dotted line in a cold call. It's very difficult to do that. What cold calling is great for is establishing a relationship, moving that person into like a trial or a, or even just a database and then nurturing that to get them to a trial. Once the trial is done, if your service is good enough, they're going to stay on. And we, we know that if these people actually use our service, they're going to continue using it. So our main mission at the start was get this person to just try it. 
that's yeah, what so Confluent's great for. Sorry. That's right. No, so yeah, it's, it's not the old school Wolf of Wall Street, you know, buy now, commit now, you're not going to, no, you know, no. give us your money. So it's, that's a really crucial point, right? Developing that relationship in the early days. And one question I have is why not use email, LinkedIn or socials? I mean, it's picking up the phone brings up so many anxieties. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> People shit themselves essentially, right? 100%. Like picking up the phone, calling someone. So to, like, why do you choose the hardest avenue? Tell me. I think it's not a matter of why not use socials. You should be using both, right? They're both really effective in their own way. I think socials are just something that you have to be using at the moment, right? It's the, it's the, it's just the new thing and it's everyone's on social media. Everyone's on Facebook. It used to be just a certain age bracket. Now it's everyone from 12 to 80 are using some form of social media. So you need to be on there. The conversion rate I find is usually higher in socials in terms of actually getting a result and that's usually because these people have clicked on something and they have some form of interest already the leads are warmer however it's kind of harder it's a little bit harder to control how many leads you get right and it's less predictable i know probably on a larger scale that sort of balances out but for us with our socials i know some weeks some weeks we can get five really hot leads that are going to convert and some weeks we'll get none i know when i do cold calling that i'm going to get a certain number of results every 200 calls i'm going to get 10 to 20 results so that's predictable it works and i know from there the conversion rate to get them actually on as a client is usually around 40 to 50% if I go hard enough at it. Yeah, cool. I think one thing that we forgot to separate out earlier on is the difference between cold calling as a service for mm-hmm. K2X mm-hmm. and then cold calling for business needs, right? To generate your own leads and to actually get the business coming into K2X. Yep. So mainly the service that you guys provide is calling through a database, cleaning data and calling for agents. Correct. But then on the other side, when you're using your socials, it's more about lead generation for K2X as a company. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. I just want to make that clarification. So, all right, well, let's talk about some tactical things right here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So talking about cold calls, I mean, there's, I mentioned earlier, a bunch of anxieties. I remember back when I first started my business, I had an Excel spreadsheet. And I had names, phone numbers, and I was targeting tradesmen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was calling tradies. Try calling a fucking tradie at two in the <laughs> afternoon while he's in the middle of a job on like a yeah. Wednesday or some shit. And yep. you're calling him and trying to sell him something. And he literally just tells you, mate, fuck off. Yep. Like yep. stop calling me. So 100%. I got kicked a few times and it was difficult. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, how do you prepare for a phone call? What actually goes into that whole, you know, scripting, tonality? Talk to me a little bit about that. Right. A couple of things. The whole fear aspect, I mean, it's just something that everyone experiences. I had the same thing. I remember sitting down on my first day in real estate and um, basically I was doing a free trial for someone who's a friend of mine now. His name is Bill Tunius. And basically he gave me a stack of papers with some numbers and just said, let's see how good you are. Didn't tell me what to say. Just kind of put me in a room and I was sitting in front of the phone going, how am I going to do this now? What, what am I going to do? So essentially I was ringing people asking if they wanted to sell. As you can imagine, I got told to fuck off plenty of times. <laughs> and I mean, you do enough calls, you're going to find someone that wants to sell, right? So I did find someone that was actually thinking of selling by like three or four o'clock that afternoon. Didn't know how to book the appointment, kind of stumbled for about five minutes on the phone. And they were like, do you want to come down? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So anyway, got that. And then I remember sitting down the second day and just going, I can't do this for the rest of my life. There is no way I'm going to be able to do this because that anxiety is so strong, right? It almost feels like a life and death situation, that fear, right? There's a good reason for that. Social rejection is so scary because, I mean, if you go back far enough, we're talking about tribal days, social rejection or being excluded from the tribe actually meant certain death, right? So that's a remnant from that time where it's the most terrifying thing ever, isn't it, right? Getting rejected. And if you think about it, it's such an illogical fear because sitting in front of the phone calling Margaret from... 15 Harrow Street or whatever it might be, whether she likes you or whether she doesn't like you or whether she tells you to piss off or whether she tells you to come down, it has no real bearing on your life besides, you know, hitting your KPI. So it's an illogical fear, but it's so strong. And I think 
how do you get over it? It's just knowing that you're going to get told no, knowing that you're going to get told to piss off. I had a really good um, lesson from one of my mentors, Matthew King, and basically every time I'd get a yes, get up and sort of do a little dance and like look at him like, you see that? And he said to me, mate, I'll be more impressed when you get 100 no's. And I just didn't understand that at the time, but now I do. I mean, if you make the no a KPI, if you get enough no's, you're just going to get a yes, right? You're going to find someone that actually does want your, the service that you're selling. So rather than going, yes, I got someone, make the no a target. Get 50 no's, get 100 no's, and you will get a yes. And then if, I think if you make the no the target, it takes the fear away from it a little bit. I think on top of that, knowing your script, knowing your objections is massive. There's only a set number of objections that you can actually have. So if you know them and you know a rebuttal for them, then it really takes the fear away from actually receiving that objection. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. But what do you do? I love that reference going back to the tribal days, by the way. That was awesome. So what do you do in a situation where, you know, you're starting your business, you're at, you're at a point in your company where, you know, you're like, shit, I need sales. I'm not a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I don't have any staff. I'm bootstrapping and mm-hmm. I need to make these phone calls. Mm-hmm. What most people do and what I see happening all the time is people opt for, I'm just going to send one email and see if they get back. When, first of all, I think Zoom Info, actually a platform that we just signed up to, mm-hmm. they release some stats that it takes on average about 10.3 touch points before someone actually responds. So your one email is just going to get lost, right? Yeah, yeah. But people tend to opt for that option because right. it's easy. Mm-hmm. You're hiding behind a computer screen. No one knows who you are and you're just sending it out. So what are some things that founders can do to come up with their script and sort of foresee some objections. And I mean, if there's an objection that you haven't come across before, how do you answer it? Okay. So, I mean, on the fly, if you're getting uh, an objection that you haven't really heard before, it's quite difficult to sort of come up with something on the spot. However, you can sort of predict the main objections you are going to get depending on the service you have. Now, if you understand how to handle an objection as a whole, then it doesn't actually matter what objection you get. This is a bit more in-depth. It's quite an advanced thing in terms of cold calling. But I mean, really what you want to do is isolate the objection, understand the objection more, get some more information and use that information to actually overcome the objection rather than throwing hard selling at it, right? So if someone says, oh, you know, I'm using a junior agent. And, oh, well, we're better than the junior agent. And we promise you these many results. That's hard selling, right? And it's the quickest way to turn someone off in a cold call. But if someone says, oh, look, man, my junior does that. Cool, man. I mean, can I ask like, how long has this person been in the industry? Probably six months. Cool. I mean, so he's someone that's fairly green. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. He's probably not as good as you are in terms of the prospect, in terms of prospecting, right? No, probably not. Cool. So would it be fair to say that he's probably going to be burning through some opportunities? Yeah. In this sort of period over the next six to 12 months, he probably will be until he's trained up and you're training up yourself. Yeah. So he's taking time out of your, out of your day. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I mean, hypothetically, if each opportunity he burns, let's say there's five or 10 over the next year is worth 25 grand. You're now leaving 125 grand on the table, right? Just so that you can train this junior up who might live anyway. Can I ask, why don't we do a 200 call trial? That'll give you a really good understanding of how we compare to your junior. If anything ever happens with him, at least you have us there that you can use this, right? And I know once I get him into actually using that trial, that he will continue on with our service and run us alongside his junior. It's not about taking the junior's job. It's just, I know that he will actually benefit from the service and run them together. We can't go to opens. We can't do the things that he can, but essentially this junior can't really service the database like we can. And there's a high level of business acumen there, right? Because, you know, just listening to that script, I heard... A lot of, have you read Spin Selling? Spin Selling, no, I haven't. So in Spin Selling, they go through the different series of questions. So situational, problem-centric, implication, and need payoff questions. Mm -hmm. And when you were running through that script and you were talking about, you know, how many opportunities is it going to burn? How, like, what's this going to look on your run rate? Is it fair to say, you know, X? Mm -hmm. It reminded me a lot of that book, right? Mm -hmm. And having that 
knowledge to stop and actually talk to them about what it means for their business yeah. instead of just pitching a solution and saying, blah, 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 we yeah. can do this. Yeah. To me, that's super, super important. And I don't know if it's easy to teach. Like I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about that right now and we're hiring for an account executive at our company and we're, we're going through a different process where we're doing trait-based hiring, right. right? So business acumen is definitely one of those traits that we're hiring for. Yeah. But what I don't know is, can that be taught? I mean, do you have any insight yeah. on that? Yeah, so I mean- it's difficult. Like I'm trying to do it now with my top guys. Um, so I have a lot of the top guys in that, you know, started off as callers, call staff for us calling buyers and sellers for real estate that have now moved into like a BDM boiler room that we have uh, to bring on new business. And they're learning as they go. And I think it can be taught. It's just a difficult thing. You have to understand the concept first, right? So going back to that example I gave, had he said, I'm digging, right? So I'm asking the questions to actually find the information that I need to actually find an avenue. Now, regardless of what he says, I have an avenue. And you need to really think about what those avenues are before you make those calls. But um, had he said, oh, is this someone who's feeling new to the industry? No, no, he's been here for like two years. Cool, man. So I mean, he's obviously really good at what he does, yeah? Yeah, he's really good. Awesome. Do you imagine that he might at some point want to probably go out on his own and start his own thing, like be his own man? I mean, yeah, probably at some point in the future. Cool. What's your backup plan for that? Are you going to hire someone and then train them up for the next six months or- I mean, what's the opportunity cost that's lost there? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do a 200 call trial? You can see what we can do for you in the event that that ever happens and he leaves. Then at least you have us there to call him for those six months while you train that guy up. It's a, a different answer, but it's another avenue that can actually get you to what you want, which is a trial of 200 calls for us. So you need to actually understand what those avenues are before you actually rip into that call. And once you do, it's very easy to, and you understand the concept of question, 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 lead them to the answer that you want. And it's almost like they come to the answer themselves. Once you balance those two things, then it's very easy to handle any objection. Oh man, that's awesome. And another thing that that just reminded me of is when you're like, okay, do you think that he may want to go out on his own and things like that? It was um, John Barrows from JB Sales. He actually has a formula that he goes through and how he prepares for questions. But there was one that he talks about, they're called impact questions, right? Okay. So, you know, what sort of an impact is this going to have or getting them to think about the impact of what they're doing now and things like that. I mean, he explains it in a much better way. So follow him up. JB mm-hmm. Sales is awesome. Mm-hmm. Dude, there was so much that we covered there and it was great hearing your scripts of when you're actually engaging in those conversations. But I want to take it a step back because mm-hmm. a lot of people get shut down mm-hmm. on, hey, Mary, it's Maladin calling. Hey, yeah. look, I'm busy. Bye. I'm not right. interested. Bye. So yeah. how do you deal with that situation? Yeah, cool. So there's a couple of different things. So number one, you always want to confirm that you're speaking to the right person when you start your script, right? So a lot of people just roll in with, hey, Mary, and sometimes you're not speaking to Mary and it's just a burnt opportunity there. So hey, is this Maladin? Hey, is this Maladin? Energy is really important there. So you're going to get, yeah, it's Maladin. But your energy, right, is going to be the most important thing in that first three to five seconds because they're going to decide whether they actually want to continue this conversation with you in that first couple of seconds. Now, if you are lucky enough to not get shut down there, then what you really want to do is preface the conversation and preface the time frame for the conversation. So, hey, Maladin, I'll be super brief or I'll be 30 seconds. And then you have their attention for that 30 seconds, right? Or you should. I think everyone's had that situation where they've received the marketing call and basically the person starts talking rolling into i get them all the time from charities i donate to it's like hey it's blah 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 from red cross and we just wanted to thank you for everything you're doing the really good work and then it's just like i'm stuck there going how long is this going to take i know what you want you want to get an increased donation that's fine just ask me for it i'll probably give it to you right but it's difficult to actually tune in when, when you have that so i'll be 30 seconds or i'll be super brief you should have a very short window to actually capture your attention there if someone is busy hey i'm really busy you can determine as to whether or not you want to push past that or whether you want to give them that time. And that's really up to you. But even there, someone's, hey, I'm really busy. No problem, I'll be 30 seconds and then continue into your script, right? So that tends to work for 
what we do. I think for a business to business call, probably not as much, but for, you know, hey, we're popping out to your street to give appraisals to your neighbours. It's very easy to, if you hear I'm busy or oh, I don't have time for this call right now. No, it's every 30 seconds, we're popping out to your street in Harris Street. Just want to let you know that we're going to be seeing a couple of your neighbours. Did you want to get an update while we're out there? Bang. Generally, if you push past that, I'm busy, I actually found the success rate is actually higher because that's their brush off. That's them trying to actually say no. I've actually found like 50 or 60% of those people that say no will actually say yes to the appraisal after you push past that. I don't know why that is. I'm not sure about the psychology behind that, but it does work. So there are a couple of things. But basically, what this sort of leads me into, and what might be a good little segue into one thing that I think is probably the most important thing in prospecting, and it's what I call the holy trinity of prospecting, right? So what that is, is energy, tonality, and confidence, right? So if you have these three things, you should get significantly more results than you normally would. If you have two of those things, you should be able to get through your day. If you have one of those things, it's going to be really, really difficult to actually get many results. And if you have none of these three things, you're not going to get anything, right? So energy, tonality, and confidence. Like obviously it'll help to define these terms, right? What's energy? Energy is just the way you feel while you're doing your calls, right? So, I mean, everyone's had those days where it feels like you have the minus touch, right? You can just, anyone you speak to, you're going to get the result you're after. But it feels that way. Your legs sort of bouncing rapidly, you're waiting for someone to pick up the phone. And the only thing you're thinking is someone answer so I can so I can get the result that I want, right? Someone pick up, someone pick up. Then the other days, it's like you can't do anything right. You're sitting there, doesn't matter how hard you try, doesn't matter how enthusiastic you are, you're just not getting what you want. What's the difference between these two situations? It's one thing, your energy. The discrepancy is energy. So, I mean, really, you want to ensure like that you actually sound like someone that's enthusiastic and, and someone that's professional and, and you really want to sound like someone who actually likes what they do. So energy is important. It's a notoriously difficult thing to fake, right? It's hard to just spontaneously find energy, but there's some things that you can do to make sure that you have better energy, right? Stand up while you're doing your calls. Don't do your calls slouched down. Don't be sitting in your chair like hunched over. Do your call standing up. Walk around if you have to. Sleep well. Have breakfast before you do your calls. That's like a cardinal sin, not eating before you do your calls. Cardinal sin. Get active. Do some push-ups if it's not working for you. Cow some yoga poses. <laughs> right? He does different things that like, they look funny, but they, they actually work. He gets up after and he's, he's in the zone, right? Use caffeine to your advantage, I guess, but don't overdo it. You don't want that nervous energy that too much caffeine brings. You want that, you know, you want to be up, but not shaking. Uh, limit the amount that you drink alcohol and party. Get some fresh air if you have to. One other really important thing, Aladdin, which everyone's heard, is that old adage, right? It's um, smile before you dial. It's old school. It's from the 80s. But you know what? It actually works. And the reason why it works is that there's lots of studies that show that physiology follows psychology the same way that psychology follows physiology, right? Mm. So if you smile before you do your call, you're actually going to feel slightly happier, right? It's just going to have that effect on you. So I really, really believe that works. Yeah, this is um, one thing I want to mention here. I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins and I've been to a couple of his Unleash the Power Within's and it's one of those things everyone needs to try once. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it doing it more than once, but, you know, each their own. Mm-hmm. And he actually talks about that. He talks about how energy is transferred from your physiological state into your emotional state, right? So if you're someone who's up and dancing and happy and, and smiling, even if you're angry, by the end of your smile session or your dance session, yeah. you're, you're going to end up being happy, right? Yeah. It's just, it's inevitable. 100%. I think there's a really good succinct way of saying it that I read somewhere, which is we're as likely to act ourselves into a new way of thinking as we are to think ourselves into a new way of acting. So it works both ways. So that's energy. They're all good things that you can use. It is tough to fake energy, but you can do things to improve it. The other thing is tonality, the next thing. And in my mind, this is the most important thing. Tonality is in its most basic form, the way that you use your voice and the words that you use while you're speaking. It's incredibly important in conveying meaning. Like in some languages, it's so important that the same word can have a really different meaning by altering the way in which you say that word. 
Like similarly in our language, it's the same thing, right? I always use this example. If any of my staff are listening, they'll be laughing at this. But basically, when they start off, I always get them to learn inflection by saying, I write down, get me some water with a full stop. And then I get, I write down, get me some water with a question mark. Now I say, say these two things. First one, get me some water. Second one, get me some water. The same sentence, just with a slight inflection right at the end, and it changes the meaning of the word, right? So it just goes to show you how important tonality actually is. The same thing, get me some water, get me some water. Again, you can do the downward inflection, which makes it a little bit more commanding. Get me some water, right? Mm. So you got get me some water, get me some water, and get me some water, right? <laughs> and they all mean different things, right? And they're the same. So it's really, really powerful. And the first one is a neutral tonality. It's what you want to use in the, ba- in the middle part of your script and essentially the basis of most of your script once you've actually had an understanding that they want to talk to you. The inflection up is a rapport-seeking tonality. So what that means is like you really want to use it at the start of your script. So, hey, is this Miladin? Hey, Miladin, it's Alex Hoy from K2X. How are you doing today? Very happy. And up, right? You're, you're seeking rapport. You're seeking rapport. Now, if they give you that rapport and it's like, yes, they give you the, then you can move into your actual neutral. As you're delivering the real point of your script, you can move into a bit more of a tona- uh, commanding tonality, right? So a bit more of a downward inflection at the end. Now, there are little things you can do with your tonality that actually work. Let me touch on that. So... Talk to me a little bit about how you talk to people because what I've started doing lately and I can see my experience and, and my career transforming as I develop as well. And before when I used to prospect and when I used to call people, it used to be very professional. Good afternoon. This is Maladin calling from whatever. Yeah. But now I've literally just put it in my mind that everyone's a friend mm-hmm. and I'm just going to be myself. So mm-hmm. when I call people, I'm like, hey, John, how you been? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that and does it? make a difference when you're calling businesses or when you're calling individuals and, and you know how does that play off yeah it does so look i suppose it's something that i think most people come to that realization right and i had that when i was in real estate because i thought i had to be the typical real estate agent for people to respect me and want to do business with me. suits and ties right right and i remember someone i can't remember who it is i wish i could give you a shout out whoever it was but someone said to me people don't want a real estate agent they want a friend in the industry so that always stuck with me and I remember when I actually heard that people don't want a professional real estate agent, they want a friend in the industry. I started relaxing a little bit, started treating people like people and started being myself and I was more authentic and then I just started getting business. And essentially, like, I remember the, the day that happened, someone offered me a beer at an appointment and I would never have said yes to it because I just thought it was the wrong thing to do. And I had the beer with him and I got the business, right? Like a week later, he called me, come down, ready to do it. So yes, absolutely. You want to you want to speak like yourself as much as possible. You want to be as authentic as possible. So I mean, when I talk, I talk to people like they're my friends mm. hey brother it's alex like if i've spoken to a month twice hey brother right <laughs> which for most people just they probably wouldn't talk like that but for me it's authentic it's the way that i speak so i think that works for me and i think it's really important now with a client call or a business to consumer call you probably want to put your manners in a little bit more than you would on a b2b call on a business business call you can be a little bit more direct when you're talking to someone that's you know business to business i think personally but you still want to talk as much uh, like yourself as you possibly can. Yeah, awesome. I think there must be something there that you mentioned before. There has to be some sort of beers and business movement that we can start or some shit. Like I'd love to smash some beers like every time that. I go. <laughs> every time I go out to a meeting, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, I sorry, sorry to cut you yeah. off, man. Yeah, so I suppose there's just a little bit more I want to touch on, on tonality. When I'm talking about tonality, so the other things, that we, that's inflection that we spoke about. So I, I guess there's a lot more to that, right? So you can think of tonality almost as like delivery as a whole. So the volume that you speak with, you can speak with higher volume at some points, drop your voice a little bit at other points, you know, pace. Am I talking really quickly? Am I going through things, you know, point by point or am I slowing things down to really, really emphasize what I'm saying? So you can use all those things 
they're all powerful, right? Emphasis is so important. People don't think about it. So a good example, someone written down, she said she did not take his money. He emphasized different words in every point. So she said she did not take his money. So she said it. She might not be telling the truth. She said she did not take his money. Right? So she said she didn't. Someone else might have. She said she did not take his money. So she didn't take it. She said she did not take his money. She definitely didn't take his money. She said she did not take his money. She said she did not take his money. She took someone else's money. She said she did not take his money. So she took something else, right? That's emphasis, right? You're emphasizing one word and it's changing the whole message. And it's super important in cold calling, right? So you really want to play around with those things as much as you can to actually find what works for you and what actually delivers the message that you want to deliver as best as possible. So that's tonality. Last thing, sorry to ramble on, but the last thing is confidence, right? Confidence is just the belief that you can actually overcome any hurdle that you come across in the line of what you're doing. People confuse confidence with self-esteem. So self-esteem is an appraisal of your self-worth. Confidence is the belief that you can overcome whatever you come up against. Now, how do you build confidence? It's very, very difficult to fake confidence, but you can do a couple of things that actually make you sound more confident. Remove filler words, ums, ahs. Everyone does it when they start. Remove that. Know your script. Know it without reading off the actual paper, right? So know it off by heart. It will come out so much better. Uh, And then obviously know the objections that you're going to come up against. Aside from this, being assertive in the conversation is really important as well. So don't let other people run the conversation for you in a cold call. You need to direct them. You're in the driver's seat. You can overcome anything that comes across your path that way. And what you said before, just talking about being in the driver's seat and directing the conversation, you mentioned that they don't want a sales agent. They want a friend in the industry. And that definitely rings true to any sales, in my opinion, right? When when you're speaking to people that don't want a salesperson, they don't want someone just to run them through the features and of the product or whatever it is. They want a trusted advisor, essentially, right? right? They want someone to be able to take them, figure out what they need, how can they actually help solve those problems, what that will mean in terms of ROI, yep. and advising them on how to get there, right? So I, I completely agree with that. 100%. You mentioned a lot there around tonality, around confidence, around you know all the other stuff. So I want to understand, how do you actually embed this into people, right? Like you mentioned, how many staff members do you have? 38? 37 at the moment. 37 staff members, right? So how do you teach all of those skills to, I mean, even one person would be difficult. How, yeah. do, you, how do you do it on such a mass scale? All right. So I have an amazing team. I'll start with that. I've got my two sales managers, Connor Hart and James Nuku, who basically handle the majority of the training for the team. Right? It did get to a point where it was just unmanageable for me to be training everyone and doing the BDM and you know, all the different things that I had to do. I wouldn't have mentioned their names because someone's going to try poach them. No, they're not going anywhere. They're my boys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, essentially, as soon as I could, I taught them everything that I knew and I taught them how to train the other guys and they've taken over 100% with that and they're doing a fantastic job. In the initial stages, I think it, like it, I remembered when I started in real estate, I was just kind of starving for knowledge at the start and they did really good training and role plays. Like I I do regular role plays with my guys and I got that from the you know, McGrath St. George that I worked at and it's a fantastic thing to keep people fresh. But I think at the start, I was looking for the real basics and I couldn't find them. What do the, all the terms mean? What's the like initial cold call look like? What's the best way to run that? What happens if you get a no? How do you dance away from that no and come back to get a yes? All these different things. Now, I basically sat down and I wrote out everything I knew and wrote out everything I had learned and I modulized it into like an eight-point system, which you've seen, Laden. And essentially, I made sure that I taught each of those modules one by one before I actually moved to the next one. I tested them on it the week after. I made sure they understood it. And then from there, I moved on to the next one. And then once I ticked off all those points and gone through the system... Then we were doing regular role plays as a group to ensure that the things that we did at the start were still fresh in their minds. 
And that's essentially how I did it on a, a small scale. And then I think having the guys help me out in, in terms of doing it on a larger scale has been a big game changer as well. And what I really want to know is how do you know what to teach at which point in time? Or do you just follow that set structure and then once the training's done, then you just keep it all fresh? Or is there sometimes, I mean, industries change all the time and, and the way that sales is handled changes frequently, right? I, yeah. I was listening to another podcast recently and, and there was a guy talking and he mentioned, damn it, I forgot his name. I wish I could give him a shout out. Um, and he was talking and he says, whatever advice I say, whatever I say is valid for the next 24 hours. Right. Um, so so like after that, that yeah. after that, it's, it's, it's not valid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you keep up to date with that? And how do you know what to train people at, at what points in time? Well, you got to stay on top of things, right? You got to see what's changing. You got to see what's different. I'll give a good example. What worked for me in terms of cold calls five years ago, six years ago when I was in real estate does not work now when I, that I'm running my cold call business. And I mean- there's a lot of different reasons for why things change. Like in this example, there's a lot of studies that show that people's attention spans are diminishing or they're shortening in the modern day, right? There's plenty of info on that. So that call that I did before, which is centered around what's just sold in their street. And then, you know, we're going to be popping out off the back of that sale because a couple of your neighbors were curious to get an idea what their places are worth now. Just doesn't work anymore because by the time you get through the information of the call of, you know, this just sold as a three bedroom, two bathroom place, end up selling for 1560000 They just don't care, right? Because you've lost their attention. So we've had to shorten that and change things. And it's just trial and error. You have to see what's working, what's not working. You have to research. You have to listen to podcasts. You got to, you have to keep learning. Or even if you make a mistake, it's okay to go to your team and go, hey, guys, we've been trying this. It hasn't been working. Let's switch this up. We did that recently with our, you know, our BDM team. We just found that getting someone on for a trial was working significantly better than getting someone to lock into a 3,000 core campaign. So we told them, hey, you know, I know we said that. that didn't, it's not working. Let's move to trials. So it's okay to do that as well. And do you do any A-B testing, like with your scripts? How do you know the script is going to be 100% effective or do you trial one script and then go on to another one if it's not? Right. So the principles of the script is really important. So I don't think it's so much about the script itself. It's the principle of the script, right? So the techniques that you're using in the script. And I actually charge a lot of businesses for actually script writing. So we write the scripts for them. We charge them a small fee. And I haven't had a single person come back to me and not say, hey, this is so much better than what we're doing. The reason for that is that the principles, the sales principles in that script are what make it effective, not the word for word. There's lots of different examples. Uh, maybe one small one I can give is like when we get a note in terms of reaching out for an appointment, essentially we'll ask for the email as a secondary option. Now, the reason that works is if you want something, you put a much larger or you know a bigger ask first, and then you get the second thing, which is what you actually want, which is the email, put that second, then it seems like a much better or much more reasonable option in comparison. That's one. And then in asking for the email, uh, essentially we'll go, cool, hey, what am I going to do for you? Instead, once every couple of months, we, re- we uh, send out an email to let you know what's happening in the San Susie market, price movements, that sort of thing. That way you can keep track of the value of your place. And if you ever need us in the future, you can call us. How does that sound, right? So now I've, I've ended that with, that way you can keep track of the value of your place. There's the benefit for them. Mm-hmm. What that means for you is what we call it. What that means for you. And that way you can keep track of the value of your place. And if you ever need us in the future, you can call us. How does that sound? So what I've left it on is, if you ever need us in the future, you can call us. We're not going to call you again, right? I'm putting the power back in their hands and then I'm asking, how does that sound? So when they're hearing that script, they're not thinking, how does the email sound? They're saying, they're thinking, how does it sound if I never call you again, right? <laughs> so the answer for most of these is when they're cold calls is, yeah, sure. Fantastic. What's the best email to send that to? And then at that point, they'll give us the email. From there, they'll start receiving good information from the agent and they're quite actually happy that they actually said yes to that. So the principle, back to your question, the principle is what's important. It's if you understand the sales principles of what you're trying to do, then your script is just going to work regardless of the minutia of it. And when you were talking there, again, it just flagged in my brain that business acumen of 
figuring out what's the benefit for them, what's the benefit for us, you know, how do we actually having that bigger ass first and then going for the smaller one. It sounds like you're training that in and not allowing people to freeform that whole business acumen side. Because I mean, to give you an example, right, when we're dealing with SaaS sales, you have to be really curious. You have Mm -hmm. to really sit down and think, what does this mean for their business? What different levers can we pull and how can we fit our solution in to benefit them? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as that moves on to customer success, right, you're looking at, you know, what are the success metrics we can put in place? How do we measure them? And, you know, sometimes this is incredibly hard, right? And if someone doesn't come from that business, that they don't have that business acumen and curiosity Mm -hmm. embedded in them, it's very hard to teach that in my experience, right? But it seems like You've done that successfully and you've actually built out a step-by-step flowchart system, process, whatever you want to call it, to Mm -hmm. actually get them to ask those curious questions Mm -hmm. without having to think about them. Yeah. I suppose it is is still a very difficult thing. Like you said, I think the best way to do it is what you mentioned before, which I've never heard, but it was trait hiring. Is that what you said? Trait-based hiring. Trait-based hiring. Just to explain what that is, um, from our end, we're looking at business acumen so we're measuring you know are they curious can they think about business problems we're tracking for good human Um, that's really important maintaining culture in a startup so you know you check for any flags around you know victim mentality and things Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. we're tracking for drive so drive's a really important one and then all the other basic ones like how do they deal with problems and and there's a few other ones i think we track for about six i can't think of the rest off the top of my head but yeah that's pretty much what they are i think that's a probably something we've been doing anyway without realizing it right we hadn't actually thought about it but that's what we're doing we're looking for what kind of person this person is when we speak to them have they got a bit of pizzazz are they you know are they curious are they confident we try to find all those things in a person prior to actually hiring them however if they i've also found that with the system we've built in terms of training people if someone lacks those things they actually tend to find them somewhere along the way right because because i suppose with my line of work what you're doing is stepping out of your comfort zone daily you're ringing strangers, putting yourself in the firing line and being told to F off, right? And I've had people come in and they just can't even say hello, right? Because we're desperate for staff at one point and we're just hiring whoever we have. We're trying to hire two a week at the rate we were growing. And we were hiring some people that just probably weren't what we wanted at the time. But now those same people that you couldn't get a peep out of before, couldn't even say hello with confidence. And now running a team in some situations and are really coming into their own as a person. So I think you can teach it depending on... I think business acumen is probably a little bit different, but for what we need, we can teach it, I think. That's awesome. And I've heard countless stories of people who are introverts and they hate, you know, going out, speaking to people and, and it's it causes a lot of stress and anxiety for some people, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing. And they've actually taken the reins and gotten into like a sales development rep role where you're pretty much punching out 50 cold calls a day and yeah. staying on top of your cadences and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, people can definitely change, but it's all about stepping out of your comfort zone, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and that's, I mean... Going back to the origin of this podcast, right? Stepping out of your comfort zone for startup founders who most of the time they're highly technical, right? Mm -hmm. They're coming up with a product, uh, a new solution, new artificial intelligence algorithm, whatever that may be, right? And then a common misconception is that once you actually build it and they will come, right? So you build the product and then you put it out onto the app store or Mm -hmm. on the internet, wherever you're selling it. And millions of people are going to come on because you have the best solution in the world. That doesn't happen. You need to be able to sell your solution. 100%. And in the early days when you've bootstrapped and you've spent, you know, even if you're lucky enough to spend 250, 300 grand on your startup, which most people don't have. Mm-hmm. But if you spent that money, you don't really have anything left to yeah. hire a salesperson. Yeah. And in those early days, it's really, really crucial 
for a founder to be able to sell their own product, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't believe in it, if you're not able to sell it, it's going to be very hard to get a salesperson to come on board yep. and be able to sell your product, right? So I think stepping out of your comfort zone and really getting out there and giving it a go is crucial. But I think there are also many things that you can do, like listening to this podcast, for example, 100%. to cut corners. I'm a massive fan of cutting corners, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. my whole life, I always look for the biggest, what's going to give me the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time possible, right? Yeah. Hence why I created my online course, this podcast, you know, just trying to get as much done mm-hmm. in as short a period of time as possible. So yeah. um, it's always upskilling, staying up to date, and you don't have to become a professional salesperson, just learn the f- fundamentals. Learn the right? basics, yeah. That's where I stand on that. Have you got a different opinion? No, I agree with you 100%, I think. And I think just depending on the length of the sales cycle that you're in, it can be difficult in some industries where you're looking at a two, three year timeline before you actually get what you want out of someone, like real estate, for example. It can be difficult to see the effect that the prospecting has. In an industry like mine, like if I go back to the office now and I bash out 100 calls, I'll probably put on five or six people that actually want to use my service next week. And so the rewards they're much quicker than it was when I was in real estate. I've seen both sides and it, it can be disheartening, I guess, to probably, you know, be starting up a business and, and not seeing an immediate result on those. And I think you have to really ascertain whether or not it's, is it what I'm saying? Is it what I'm doing? Can I improve that by listening to podcasts? Can I improve that by, you know, reading a book or listening to professionals or, or is it just something that I need to continue at and nurture this relationship for longer because the sales cycle is longer? But no, 100, 100% I agree with you fully. What you mentioned there is you're still out, you're punching out cold calls and you're doing things like that. I mean, that's when people start climbing the ranks of management. I mean, not even management, right? Like when you're looking at account executives that move from the SDR position into an AE, instantly they rely on SDRs to feed them in leads. Like, oh, you know, where's my SDRs? You know, where, where can I get my leads from? And it's very rare to come across people that actually, even in the senior positions, are still sitting there punching out $50 a day and, you know, actually getting on the phones. And 100% it is. Another story I I heard it, I heard the other day, um, I was listening to a podcast again, JB, John Barrows. He was talking about when he was an SDR and his manager came out while he was sitting with his colleague and he goes, um, how many cold calls have you done today? And it turns out, I guess, the fuck, how many cold calls have you done today? <laughs> and um, he also said, like, it is a fireable offense, like you should have kicked him out. But what he did was the next day he came into the office and he left his door wide open and this guy was just hammering out cold calls. Beautiful. Like, the manager was just hammering him out. Beautiful. And then everyone saw that were like, holy shit, this guy's good, right? Like yeah. everyone headsets on, let's right. start punching him out. So it's always leading by example, I reckon, as well. It is. And like, I'll give you an example of that. Like I probably have moved away from doing the activity that the majority of the staff in my business do, which is calling for the agents. I probably haven't done that in a very long time because I am speaking to the agents themselves, bringing on new business and I'm, I'm doing cold calls to actually generate new business. And then I'm handling the follow-up calls from the BDM boiler room that we have. And my goal, I guess, is to get a signature on the document and get them on for an actual trial. But I think it's really important to occasionally sort of show that you're still there in the trenches with them. So there was an example of a time where, you know, no one could get a result on this one list and we have our guarantee. So if we don't hit our KPI, we're just not getting paid on that list. So it's kind of Friday afternoon, two or three lists haven't been hit and the whole office is just banging out on this list to try and get, you know, the result that that we need. And this was the the list that no one could get a a result on. And I, I think I even had, I can't remember if it was one of my sales managers going, man, like it's tough. This list is fucked. I'm like, all right, cool, screw it. So I jumped on, did one call, got told to fuck off. I was like, fuck, I'm a bit rusty. Jumped up, did some air boxing, some shadow boxing, came back to it, second result, got the appointment. So, and then everyone saw that. I made a big hula balula about it. <laughs> I'm still the boss. <laughs> That's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> but um, I think it's important to show that 
lead by example, get in there. And if, if there's something that everyone else can't do, do it. You're the leader. You're not the boss. I shouldn't use the word boss there. You're the leader, right? And you need to, I remember at the start of my business, I think a lot of people don't know this now because they see me sitting in my office doing the BDM calls. Me and Cal did every single job in the business. We did the marketing, we did the list preparation, we did the data stuff, we did the calling, we did all the planning for the business, we did the admin at the start before we had our team, we did everything and we split that between ourselves all while working other jobs. So I was working in a gym at the time to cover myself and he was working um, for a prop tech company and we were doing that outside of the hours of our actual roles, we were doing that. So it was like 14 hour days, six or seven days a week. So it's important that your team knows that you can still do that, I think. Yeah, man, and I love that emphasis on you're a leader, you're not a boss. And I think that's really important. And also, you know what? I think that's an awesome note to end on. So we're going to wrap it up here, Alex. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed the chat, man. And I hope you did too. I did, brother. Thank you. For everyone listening, uh, if they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you, man? Um, in terms of the business, we've got our website, www.k2x.com.au. We're on Instagram as k2x underscore leads. Um, for anyone interested in, you can inquire on either of those if you want to give me a call. You can do that too. My number is 0435050129. Awesome, man. Thanks again, Alex. Hope to chat to you again soon, Thanks, man. Thanks, Thank you. <laughs>